Welcome to the Pure Creative Force podcast. I'm Christy McNabb, your host. There's a pulse of creativity running through each of us. It's our job to honor and activate it. Creativity is the antidote to the struggles, challenges, and suffering we see in our lives and the world around us. The act of creating and bringing forth something new dissolves the old and useless ways. Join me and discover how to unleash the pure creative force within. Activate your own creative process and learn how to keep elevated. Be inspired to go create. Today's conversation is with Marissa McFadden, an intuitive guide, energy healer, and owner of The Creative Spirit, a healing space in Easton, Pennsylvania. A former college English professor and mother of five, Marissa shares how she busts the stagnant walls of linear and logic by opening up to imagination and exploring the creative flow. We talk about her healing practice and what it means to open up to your natural gifts and intuitive guidance, how liberation lies in showing up to life's struggles, and how you don't need a yoga class to be spiritual. Marissa teaches us how to hold space and open our hearts to even the most challenging personalities we encounter in our day. She's a wicked writer, unearthing her life's challenges with wry humor and authenticity. And she's learned to accept complete unpredictability, whether it's in a bustling household or in her creative healing space. Here's our conversation. Welcome, Marissa, to the Pure Creative Force podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So share with us a little bit about your journey launching the creative spirit, your new healing and workshop space, and the types of services that you offer. Sure. Um, It's been a journey of probably just mistakes and mishaps that led me here, but I really began by being overwhelmed with my life and um, losing my ability to work in what I thought would be my career for forever. I was a college professor and I taught English. Um, But after my fifth child, I realized it was, I couldn't keep up and there was no way to kind of manage that dream. But what it helped me to do is shift my understanding of how to use my skill set and, and how to use what made me passionate. And that was really helping people to make connections. Um, kind of being forced into an early retirement just by way of, you know, costs and things like that for taking care of my kids and a, a desire to be with them again. Led me back into just making stuff. Started mm-hmm. with making uh, Play-Doh people with, with my children during the day is just a way to kind of pass the time and have conversations with them. And I realized, you know, an hour would go by and we had discussed so much in, in small children terms um, that felt so big just while using our hands. As a child, I always was painting and creating. And I remember being lost for hours in my imagination and, having something to show for it when I was done, I would, I would dream about a million different things, sometimes embarrassingly, like a new kids on the block concert. (laughs) But as a kid, that would make me excited and happy and feel an electricity. And 
I would be painting a picture at the time um, and kind of get lost in my own brain. And when I stopped teaching, I got back into that. I got back into using my imagination to allowing myself to dream um, and take time to do that kind of thing and create with my hands. And it felt like that was the missing link is using my hands, using tools like paint, crayons, Play-Doh, anything that I had available, snow, to just get out of the present stressors and into something that feels like, you know, what other new age thought leaders kind of call the flow. And so I started to save some money and talk to people about what they would think if I turned this into a profession. And I started to dip into my intuitive side and my gifts that I, I was realizing were were growing rapidly the more I spent time in this flow. And over time, with with the help of bouncing ideas off of a lot of people, I came up with exactly what I always wanted to have in my life. I just never thought I could do it, which is a whole bunch of different things that seem un related yet all come under the same umbrella so guiding people with my intuition um, doing healing making art working with children working with adults and one day it clicked I actually have all of the pieces or all of the parts in a recipe to make something really good and lasting and so that's kind of how it all happened in a very random and you know divinely timed way Mm. And I love your ability to really connect with your imagination. And I'm sure teaching and being in a university setting had its own, um, you know, strengths and benefits and positive things, but it, it really probably did take you out of your imagination, right? Because it had to be so linear oh, and so logical. <laughs> it was so linear and logical and standardization. I think I, I, I lament how much our, our, educational uh, institutions are standardized because it takes so much, even for the teachers. It takes a lot away. You know, you can dream in many ways about how to make a math equation, connect with someone and, and easy to learn. And, and sometimes when we all do it in the same way, it does become really cookie cutter. It feels like the Pink Floyd, uh, you know, another brick in the wall kind of feeling. <laughs> Um, we lose, we lose that fun, that playfulness. Yeah, absolutely. And what, if you could sum up the mission for the creative spirit and the work that you're doing, is there kind of one culmination or one, one mission statement that you have right now? It's, I'm still working on that in that, um, I, I pressure myself a lot to put language to emotions and ideas. I think language is really liberating for me because sometimes a word can sum up so much. But when it comes to a mission statement, it's really been flowing and evolving. Ultimately, I want to use this space as a way for people to just get back into the flow and get out of the stress and the limitations of daily life and remember that we're a part of something bigger. And even if we never leave our hometown, we can connect with the world and the universe through small acts. And having the 
fearlessness to create when you may feel like it's not your right can really get us out of our own way and help us to, to see paths into the future, paths to help us sort of formulate a better world. Mm. And any tips you have for people, like how, how you worked through that fear and how you really, um, the, the things that you did to embrace your intuition and your healing gifts and kind of peeling away the layers. Is there anything you can share with people who may be struggling with that? I think the struggles are the, the key. Um, so I have, uh, I have a few, well, uh, you know, to be candid, I have a brother who's an alcoholic. He works really hard uh, on his sobriety. Um, but watching him and, and growing up with him, um, it's on one hand uh, a privilege to watch someone work so hard to be present. And it's also really hard to be um, a witness to that. And it made me realize that my own struggles, whatever they are, if I can't get to making dinner that night, that feels like a struggle to me, but there's liberation in admitting the struggle. Mm. Um, and that it can't be perfect. I, if my brother was meant to be perfect, he probably would be dead by now because it's, it's not possible for any of us to be perfect. And if we hold each other up to these extremely high standards, then we just create anxiety and um, isolation. And so I learned through him that falling down on your face or making mistakes or risking making mistakes in public is, is almost a doorway to walk through. Um, to get to the other side where it's fearlessness, where it's, you know what, put it all out there. Judge me if you want to, but I'm still moving forward. And so through him, I, I learned how to do that. And by having children watch me every single day, my own children, I realized how important it was for me to do that because I would never want them to grow up thinking that we can't make mistakes or we have to be perfect if we want to do something. You have to be a perfect baseball player if you want to pursue baseball in middle school and high school. You have to be college ready. Those things seem so oppressive. And uh, I'm hoping that other people, just through getting somewhere and being playful and talking about their own mistakes and being vulnerable while creating, um, can kind of have a ripple effect. Mm. That's so powerful because in the showing up to daily life and the daily struggles, you really learn your own strength and your own inner resolve. And, you know, we can talk about things in theory or you can kind of think through, you know, what do I need to do in my life? But it's really the day to day and showing up and just taking action. So, you know, powerful showing lessons. Showing up is the biggest thing. Yeah. Powerful. So tell us about the energy healing and the intuitive readings. Um, what's your process and how are you helping clients kind of work through this, um, you know, the, the pressure that we have to be perfect or to work through struggles? Sure. Um, this is, so this is really um, the part that has held me back for a long time. 
audacious enough to say that I can help someone heal, uh, that in and of itself has sort of been something that I've had to work through to say that uh, I'm a healer or I can see things uh, has been very difficult for me until one day I ripped off the Band-Aid and said, you know what, I just have to risk doing what I know I'm here to do and what I'm capable of doing. And each time I work with somebody, uh, I sort of, just as we began this podcast, I just stop and I set an intention and I ask for my guides to come and really for me to be a channel and an instrument. Uh, sometimes it's a predictable on some level format. Sometimes I have to make sure people get in and out in a certain amount of time. But for the most part, it's a very free-flowing kind of exchange where we open up to each other, myself and a client. I ask them to sit and, and I thank them for trusting me and trusting me as an instrument for something bigger than and, and more beautiful than we can imagine. And we work from there. Some people are comfortable laying on a massage table where I start with something uh, kind of like Reiki. And I talk to my clients about how I imagine that we go in to who they are and, and their being and we sort of skim a pool. We pull up all of the stuff that's in the 12 foot deep end that's kind of sank to the bottom with our net. We're not going to get everything the first time, but we're going to pull it out and we're going to look at it and we're going to try to understand where it came from and what it is and how it clouded up our pool, how it's impacted us over time. And some of those things are memories and some of those things are uh, just behaviors that we're not quite sure where they've come from. And so through laying on a massage table and getting into something like a, a, a trance or, or, you know, a very deeply meditative state, uh, we communicate together and I try to pull up what I can and, and help people to see it and understand it. And then I make sure that we close ourselves off again and zip them up and wrap them back up in a protective loving energy. And what we'll do is kind of leave the, the healing room and sit down and just talk about what came up, what we skimmed from the surface, what we skimmed from the bottom and take time to recognize that just being aware of how those things were in us is enough. Mm. Maintaining the intention to let those things go or let our attachment to those things go is enough. And often that liberates people because a lot of times they come in with a desire to act, that they have to yoga breathe their way out of something or go to a class or hit the gym or, you know, change themselves in ways that are often seem unsustainable. And it, it keeps people from moving forward. And what I like to do and what we do that I consider healing is just to help them see what's been there and to help them be aware of how that affected their operating system. Mm. And then just to, to kind of hold on to that 
and be kind and gentle with themselves and know that there's not a whole lot you need to do other than to let God in, to trust that God is a part of you and that you are capable of of moving beyond these these hurts or these pains or these memories. Um, The difference, I would say, between what is quote-unquote a healing and a reading is that a lot of people, especially people who come to see me for the first time, uh, aren't sure what to make of it. And this is where I go back to the idea that language is really powerful and marketing is such a, a wonderful tool. I've yet to find great ways to help explain to people who don't frequent this kind of uh, experience or this kind of healing uh, to explain to them what it is that I do. So a reading is often the best, most accessible word um, for me to offer. And so I let it be what they predict it will be, which is often like the kind of sit down at a table and flip cards or um, just have a conversation where what they expect, a lot of times they think it's like a psychic reading. And I will say that I can't predict your lottery numbers, but I can see a lot of what's on you and humming underneath the surface. And a reading is often a really easy and a powerful way to help people see things that they couldn't see before because I can connect with it and I can offer the images and the memories back to them. And so it's often validating. It's often illuminating. But more than anything, I think it's disarming and it helps them to calm into and relax into something that not quite therapy, you know, not, not a yoga class. Um, it helps them to understand, I think, what I do a little bit more. And so it's often a doorway into the deeper healing. Um, so sometimes it does sound like a psychic reading, but often what comes up is not anything about the future. It's really that I can see images that come off of them. And there's a knowing that comes. And so sometimes I can see what happens to people when they're three years old, Mm -hmm. a trauma that's occurred. Um, Sometimes I can see what happened the day before and how it's affected them. It's really interesting. Uh, I sort of liken it to throwing a, a children's picture book up in the air and letting it fall. And I can look over and look at that picture book and describe what I see but I don't know where in their story that picture comes from. Is it in the beginning of the book or the end of the book? And I often can't tell you uh, what the narrative structure of that book is. But when they connect with images from their own life, it's very powerful. And it helps them to ease into the idea and accept the idea that there's things greater than just this 3D world. And Mm -hmm. it's a doorway. Yeah, absolutely. And your gift as a healer and an intuitive, um, you know, I know as business owners, the marketing is really important to us and getting the words right, but it, it really is your essence of who you are. And I can, you know, just bet that when people meet with you, it, it's the words may not even be that important because they're 
they're getting your essence, your energy, and there's a trust and there's a comfort. And it's all in your ability to create this space to help people peel away those layers and, you know, the, yeah. the, the um, kind of like the cobwebs of life that have kept us stuck or have kept us blind. So you're really helping people to be able to embrace the healing within themselves. For sure. And, you know, I would even ask you the same thing to do these things and then accept that people are moved by me or trust with this giant part of themselves uh, with me or feel that in my presence, they are safe and supported and loved. Uh, Coming from the 12 year old insecure girl inside of me, it's a very, it's a very interesting process of acceptance for me. And it's also a very humbling thing. And it's been very healing for me. I struggled with self-esteem my entire life, which is probably why it took me so long to get to something like this. But when I see you, I wouldn't question the power that you have in your own essence and how much people can gain from just being in your presence. But to flip it to myself, it's always interesting. Um, and And I struggle and I work a lot still to accept that I am doing this and, mm-hmm. and it, you know, I'm so grateful. And I know there's a bigger reason that I'm here doing this. And I look at, I have four daughters and one son, and I know on some level, this is for them as well to mm-hmm. understand how to accept your power and, and learn to be comfortable with it and proud of it. Mm-hmm. And we're all mirrors for each other, aren't we? Yeah, completely, completely. So in order to do this work, you obviously have done a lot of work on yourself and continue to do that. Can you share your, you know, daily routines or just what you do during your week to keep yourself clear and to find your own inner peace so you can create this healing environment for others? Yes, but I'm afraid it will be a massive disappointment to everybody to just <laughs> say that. Don't I be afraid. To, <laughs> I have learned to accept complete unpredictability. I think that's how I ended up here. Um, yesterday, I began making dinner uh, for about three nights. Like I bought tons of chicken and a lot of potatoes, and I was going to make a lot of meals, you know, it'll be easy for Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, and we can just have easy dinners. And then I ended up in the emergency room with my son because he fell flat on his face um, at recess. And that's a day. Uh, I I realized (laughs) that's been my day since children. Um, And even before, because like I said, my brother struggled and also life just happened. I have no idea how to be predictable. And so I've learned in really micro ways to connect. I'd love to do yoga. I think maybe I get to do it once a month um, and I'm not that good at it. So I'll take a walk instead and let that be enough. I'd love to do feet 
meditation work that's not right before bedtime because I always fall asleep, <laughs> but I'll take five minutes where I can get them. And when I work with people uh, and I get to my studio and I get to my healing space, that's where I at least have the time to go through my ritual, to go through the opening up, the forgiveness uh, of myself and others, the inviting in of my guides where I really get to talk to them. And the beauty is, is through so much noise in my life, uh, I've, I've learned that it's okay. It's okay to only have small moments and to take it where you can get it. It's a first world luxury that I have to be in this position in the first place. I don't live in Syria right now. I don't live in, you know, in a dynamic where I'm fighting for my livelihood or my right to feed my children. So more than anything, I just try to have gratitude and recognize the privilege that I have just to be safe and happy and pursue things that I love and help people connect to their own healing. And it's just minute to minute, second to second uh, reminders of that, being Mm. grateful, being aware, being full of intention Um, without any marriage to uh, a routine because that marriage would never last. (laughs) Well, I think, you know, it's a great, message that your spiritual practice is how you show up day to day and being present. And, you know, like, like you shared, you wanted to make dinners for the next couple of days and you took your son to the emergency room. It's like, that's the spiritual practice is how we show up in the moment for each other. It's yeah. And it's a funny thing how each person shows up and I'm, and I'm, really astonished on a daily basis how we just don't realize a moment at the DMV can be so beautiful. A moment, you know, in the Target bathroom where you pass somebody and, you know, say hello can be really meaningful. And even those can be spiritual moments. And it's any moment where you could just be aware of the humanity around you and the the spiritual in the ordinary I think, I think it's enough. Yes, I hope it's anyway. I feel that it is. Well, that's how, that's how we change the world. And I think this is such an important message. It's a great reminder for myself. I mean, I've been to so many yoga classes and you're all Zen and spiritual and you walk outside and there's, you know, people are running each over, uh, running each other over in the parking lot. And it's like, okay, this, this isn't what we're supposed to be doing as humans. No, it really is. Yeah. In the daily householder at work or you know, walking through life. It's how are we treating ourselves? How are we treating each other? And if we want to see change in the world. Oh, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say, if we want to see change in the world, that's where we can start. Let's just start today. I, I have struggled with the idea that I feel insecure in a yoga class. And many times where I'm feeling doubtful, I can go down the road of, you know, you just feel this way because 
you feel really uncomfortable in yoga pants and you don't want to sit through a yoga <laughs> class and feel judged. But I realized that these insecurities or these ways that I feel most comfortable showing up are my superpowers. And not everyone is going to find the Zen in a yoga class just yet. But I think they're so important. And I think it's just when you follow what calls to you. So for my one friend, it is a yoga class, and she's a wonderfully powerful woman who just kind of commands so much in her silence and her her individualism and her ability to, to zone out and teach others how to zone out and, and move in their bodies. And I always wished I could be like that. And I always thought that that was my path. If I could just get that way, I would be really spiritual. And in the insecurity and mess of my life, I've learned that that is not my power. That is not what's going to be my way of saving the world. That's not the Avenger that I'm going to show up as in the movie. I'm probably going to be, you know, the messy one with kids screaming around me in a messy house <laughs> and, and chaos <laughs> and feeling like I don't look as good in these yoga pants as everybody else, but I can be present in a grocery store. I can be present in a parking lot. And I, I'm, finding a lot of liberation in sharing that idea with others. And I'm really happy with that. I love it. And it's so, it's, it is so powerful. So yeah. you shared a little about your kind of reconnecting with that creativity and the imagination that you had as a kid and how that's come back to you and, you know, share what it was like growing up in your household. Your mom is a best-selling novelist and your dad was an adventurer, how you were poked and prodded with your own creativity and self-expression, and then how you're also fostering that with your own five children. Um, it's really funny. My parents were just complete opposites. I always told people my mom loved a vacation on the beach. She And she has written a couple of novels that, um, uh, you know, in coastal settings, and they're lovely and gorgeous, and she really delves into nature and the experience of how light moves on a place. But at the end of the day, she loves a beach vacation. And my dad loves to go out there, and one of my favorite memories of him is he took a trip to Labrador, Canada during a time where there were riots. And every time a boat pulled up to the port in Labrador, the people living there would stone all of the people getting off of the boat because they were so angry with the Canadian government. And, you know, it was dangerous and it was desolate and it was poor. My dad at the time of his life, he absolutely came alive in this experience of what he, I think, considered a real human experience. It's not, you know, it's not suburban New Jersey uh, where he grew up. And I recognize the quietness of sitting on a beach and watching the light move on the water and kind of the, the electricity of being where life is really happening in ways that we haven't always experienced it. The 
two of those go together so nicely for me mm-hmm. um, that I, I have a sense of wanderlust. I've struggled with the idea that I can't get to the places that I want to get to and have the experiences that I want to have because I'm a mother right now. And, and this is, this is my season for mothering, you know, this is maybe the spring or the summer, but my, my time for travel will come again and I'll be able to take my children to do some of these things with me. But it created this desire to at once be still and be immersed in everything. And I feel like I can creatively uh, observe and digest and express back just the range of human experiences from solitude and quietness to, you know, a packed train in Mumbai at rush hour. Both of those things are beautiful to me. Both of those things call to me. Um, And they both come out in my ways of expressing myself. I think I, like with a lot of my family, express myself through humor, um, sometimes self-deprecation, but often just by being uh, humorous about my observations uh, through my paintings. And then I'm um, an avid writer. I write a lot. I try to get as much down as I can. And a lot of what I write veers into the humorous uh, simply because it, it's part of my love language and it's the way that uh, helps me to feel in touch with humanity. So my parents were both unbelievable parents in what they offered to me and, and gave to me in my life. I, I feel like I'm sure everybody feels this way, but I don't know if I could have had a better experience growing <laughs> up. I certainly had my share of heartache and, and frustrations, but they gave me such tools mm. in life to help be creative and to be expressive and, and an explorer. Mm, that's so powerful. And that's how you're helping others too, is to kind of dance with that dichotomy. For sure. And it takes a while to realize that. I think that's <laughs> part of growing up and being human. <laughs> One mm-hmm. day we realize it. Another dichotomy is the, the, um, kind of male and female energy. And I know you were raised in a large family with nurturing and powerful women and with men who embraced, <laughs> yeah. the men in your life also embraced that matriarchal strength. So how have you healed? Sure yeah. How have you healed and how do you help others heal the feminine and masculine polarities or the imbalances that we all have? Humility, mm-hmm. um, I think is a big one. Uh, and trust. I think it's hard for women to recognize that, and this is not masculine or feminine, this is more specifically female, that men may not understand us, uh, and this sounds very derivative, but men may not understand us always, but that they try um, in the best way that they know how, and it's the trying that matters. And sometimes I think just, again, that's enough. Just that we recognize the small ways that each other shows up to the game, um, shows up to the, the moment. My dad 
had the worst sense of humor, was completely inappropriate with his jokes sometimes, and <laughs> loved teasing his sisters. He had seven sisters, and he was the oldest. And dear God, they were just awful to each other um, and hysterical. And I didn't grow up with seven sisters or, you know, anything like that. So it was just me. I, it was myself and my mother. And it took me a long time to recognize why my dad was the way he was <laughs> around women and how much he really meant what he said when he said he valued the power that women have and he valued the power of the feminine energy on earth. And he showed me that it is a yin and a yang, that there is maybe the nurturer is the the husband or, you know, the partner, but it can't be both of us sometimes all mm-hmm. at once. Sometimes we're meant to be one thing while the other of us is another. And if we recognize that we're showing up the way that we're supposed to in that moment, one of us may have to show up and be the cattle prod and the other one of us has to show up and learn how to react to being prodded and I feel as if my aunt and my father and his brother taught me that being a prod is very important in life and learning to soften to people who poke at you and irritate you is just as important and so it's almost that you have to thank those people um, and and they won't always be the people that prod you. They will be the people that we prod and we have to recognize how we feel to them. I'm not sure if this answers the question enough, but I, I think it's just that it's a lowering of expectations of each other because our expectations are, are, are rooted in our own life experience and our life experience is so singular so dropping the idea that we can put pressure on people to show up in ways that they're not capable is really, really, really important. And it helps us all to soften to each other and then see how they are showing up and see the ways that they do try. And I think just those simple shifts in perspective and, and seeing things helps us all to, you know, be aware and intentional, like everything else in life. Mm. Yeah, it's so powerful. And I think a a lot of what you're sharing here is, you know, it's it's not so much the, the idea of perfection or the expectations that we have. It really is being courageous and being able to be present and to show up in your life in the day-to-day interactions and, really to be able to set your intentions and, and create the life that you want to live and the experiences that you want to have. Yes, exactly. And I have this example. I work at a, every once in a while, I, I help a friend out at a shop and she, um, she has a metaphysical store and she's been a dear friend to me. But above that shop in a place that sort of puts out, you know, uh, very mystical and spiritual ideals is um a man who I don't think will ever listen to this, so I won't feel so bad saying this. He's a terrible alcoholic and racist, um, misogynist, and he might be one of the most lovely slices of humanity that I've ever met because 
he has no capability of being anything other than what he is. And I don't know if he's capable of making radical change. And he pokes everyone and he prods everyone and he makes everyone feel very offended. And yet he has a capacity for love and, and in the moment kindness that I've never seen in anybody else. And I feel sad that I might be one of the only people who sees that in him. Mm. Um, but I also feel privileged. And <laughs> I try to take that idea of who this man is to the masses a little bit because it's he's gonna he's doing the best he can with what he was given. And if we can recognize those I believe that's how he will grow. It's not when we demand different or better that I think someone like him grows. And I hate to generalize, but I feel like I've known a lot of this guy, especially in circles with alcoholics where I've dipped in with my brother to kind of help out, set in their ways, and, and this is how they are. There is kindness and, and humanity, and we just kind of have to allow the, the rough nature that they put out there first to pass through us to get to the deeper layer of who they are and I believe we would see a lot of that and I hate to talk politics or anything like that but sometimes it's the people that we don't want to engage with at a Thanksgiving dinner that have the most humanity that have the most the deepest wealth of love and it just comes out in the weirdest possible ways um but it's there. And, and to recognize that is huge. Mm. That is something I would encourage all the listeners to just sit with. Because, you know, before Marissa and I got on the, the phone here, we were talking about, you know, what's happening in culture and the finger pointing. And what you just shared was you and the people, you know, in that, on that block, in that neighborhood have a perception of who this person is but your ability to be with that and to let the exterior kind of work through you or not be so offended or not be so shut off by it that we can get through those harsh exteriors to see the human in each other. And the and other, it, go, go ahead. Oh, no, 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 no. It's, yeah, it's just, I do hope a lot. I hope that message uh, carries to a lot of people. And it's so true. Everybody is doing the best they can. And if we were to walk through our day, just knowing, you know, somebody cuts you off in traffic or they're rude to you in line at, you know, the coffee shop, everybody's doing the best they can. Everybody. It's God. And, you know, I just, I always have this image of like the Dalai Lama giving the finger to somebody if he were to drive through, you know, <laughs> around the beltway in Washington trying to cut over to just make it downtown or anything like that. It's just, we are all triggered and we only have the tools that we were given. And if people don't give us the opportunity to learn to use new tools, we'll never learn to use them. So meeting mm -hmm. someone with kindness always, I think helps them to learn how to use and sharpen those kindness tools in themselves. Mm, so powerful. So what advice do you have for, for listeners 
I try really hard not to be prescriptive. And I think one of the reasons I've become, I guess, uh, well, I, again, I struggle with my, my insecurity, good at what I do. And I think I'm, I'm really good at what I do. And I'm really proud of the work I'm doing just to show up with love, to, to lay down our arms a little bit, to see the world in a brighter way. I think that the idea of, you know, the animal we feed is the one that becomes powerful and strong. I feel that the world right now is feeding an animal of animosity and hatred. And there's a lot of justification for feeding that animal, but at the same time, we're still feeding it. And I think if we could shift gears to focus on how wonderful we are as humans to each other. Um, you know, what I see on the news is not what is reflected in my daily life. And I have to tell you, I live in a big diverse city for, you know, Eastern Pennsylvania. It, it's got a, a slice of every part of life. And there are gangs, there are drugs, there are criminals, there are uh, racists, there are jerky white people who have way too much money to connect with other people. And yet, every time something horrible happens, every time something unfortunate happens, I see every one of those people show up. Mm -hmm. And our city is a wonderful example of what you can do on a micro scale, focusing on where you live, focusing on how you can help the people around you. And even if it's just saying hi at a grocery store, those are the ways that we change the world. And so not to get tied up in what can I do? How can I help? You can help by walking out the door and waving to the mailman. You can help by letting that trickle over into, you know, carrying someone's groceries. And I clearly spend a lot of time at the grocery store. Um, <laughs> you, <laughs> but it's that we have to take the pressure off of ourselves to be, you know, a Martin Luther King we're not going to all be that person and we have to be grateful that there are people like that in the world, but we have to be that just for our own family. And then that can inspire our family and the members of our family to be that for others. And if we just start small and easy and what's sustainable, we can make such huge strides in the world. And if we focus on what's good and what's working and how positive humanity really is, um, we can change the world. And I guess for a short example, I will say for all of the, the fear over uh, climate change, there is so much work being done to help combat it. And we don't focus enough on just how much people are doing and just how woke everyone is to the idea that we need to change our ways. And that's a really wonderful thing. So spending a little more time focusing on, on what we are doing and mm. being grateful for that, I think, can help us move faster. Yes. 
And there is a, a collective narrative or everyone, politics, you know, the economy, everyone's got their own narrative of what's happening. And it's so important for us that, yes, we need to pay attention to what's happening in the world, but that every day we wake up, we get to create our own narrative. And what's, you know, exactly we, what you said. Do. Yeah. In your own town, it's like, that's not reflective of what you're seeing on the news. And it's so important that we remember that and to keep our own intention for, you know, how we want to live and what we want the world to see like, like we create that. We don't have to wait for somebody else to tell us what that's going to look like. Exactly. And I don't think we can continue to allow what comes out on the news to define who we are as a collective. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, we are bigger and better and more beautiful than anything um, we could imagine. And I think we need to stop punishing ourselves so much and, and start praising ourselves and raising each other up for what we, we have accomplished and continue to accomplish. I love it. And what a perfect way to end our conversation. <laughs> thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you. Thank you for giving me a platform to talk about some of this stuff too. Thank you, Marissa, for your insights and wisdom. You can find Marissa at www.marissamcfadden.com, where you can read her blog posts, learn more about the creative spirit, and book a healing session. Thank you for listening to the Pure Creative Force podcast. If you're interested in hearing more episodes, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast player, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or iHeartRadio. You can also listen in and view the show notes at my website, www.kristimcnab.com forward slash podcasts. If you enjoy the high elevation heart-centered mantra tunes, please be sure to check out our featured artist, Osley. Find her on your favorite music platform. That's O-S-L-E-E. -E. And you can follow her on Instagram at O-S-L-E-E -E underscore music.